hit it, Phil. Can it be the breeze that fills the trees with rare and magic perfume? Oh, no. It isn't the breeze. It's Jackson time. La, da, da, da. Well, hello again. This is Buck Benny speaking. Uh, we have, what are we up to? The third or the fourth of, in this in this saga of the the arc of the the firing of the sportsman. I think we're on one, two. I think we're on episode four. Uh, yeah, episode four. So, this is the second episode after they've been fired. Oh I yeah, think. let's complicate it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the third episode after Mel has done the sound of the of the car for the first time. This is the second episode after after Dennis has done his oh thing. So anyway, you can look at it all different ways. Thank you, thank you, John. <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, this is this is a big one though. This one uh, has his him, him replacing the sportsman. Um, we're gonna in this one we're gonna go ahead and spoil it just so you know. I mean, if you want to listen to the show first and come back, you can. It's just uh, hard not to in this one. Um, and but I'll go ahead and let one of the other two folks spoil it for us. So uh, we'll we'll just go from there. Uh, anyone want to start? John, you want to go first? Sure. I think that uh, the idea of firing the sportsman is one of the greatest ideas that they had. And really, they had not been on that long. No. no. For all you know, if you're listening to this for the first time, that was it for the sportsman. Yeah. You know, like, it's not like they're firing Dennis Day and you know he's going to come back or something right. like that, right? Like, right. if it had just been a one-season arc, that would have been it. But I think that... It's uh, really unique that they would actually shake up the show like that, adding the Sportsman Quartet at the beginning, firing them in the middle of this series for only a handful of episodes, and then having them come back. Well, and the fact that they would go a handful of episodes, you would think, okay, he fires them. If he's not really going to fire them, they'll play with it for an episode or two, and it'll be yeah. maybe three episodes or or two episodes, but you don't expect it to be like this five-episode arc thing. But Go ahead, Kathy. Because they hadn't been doing that beforehand. Um, it had not been since the multi-episode trip to Yellowstone, yeah. way back in, like, 38, that they'd done this. But is this a dress rehearsal for how they would do the um, missing Oscar? Isn't that next year? Ah. Yeah, I think so. so yeah. uh, you know, I mean, so in a way, this is the perfect dress rehearsal. Of, of, of having the art go over a number of weeks that yeah. they would, again, do so very successfully next year. So. Well, and I, as a fan, wish that they would have done an arc a year or a couple arcs a year. I mean, more than we have. On the other hand, if they did it too much, it probably would seem like too much that they're doing these things, right? It's, it's such a balancing act. But, I mean, those Yosem that Yosemite arc is probably, well, it is my favorite arc of all the arcs. And... The fact that they did that thing so early and then never went back. I mean, it took them years to get back to any kind of arc. And there's never been one that, that was, I mean, that feels like essentially a little mini movie that's happening, uh, of course, across a number of episodes. Where, and I suppose this one is probably the next closest to that, where it feels like sort of a, a mini movie or a mini thing that's happening. But you, the other ones you get are kind of strange ones a lot of times because sometimes it's the it's the the tax people that he's having trouble with and yeah, that's sort of becomes a three episode herman, arc and right or herman peabody you know yeah 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 you get weird sort of 
things that are kind of arcs and kind of not. I don't know what they are. Yeah, but... I think sometimes they're testing things out to see if they take or not. Right. Which is not well, the same as having an arc that you can clearly see is sort of a, yes. a plan. Well, and the ultimate one of that, I think, is where they, they go there and then they abandon it so quickly, is when Jack gets hit in the head and he becomes uh, really uh, uh, not frugal anymore. Nice. He becomes a, yeah. where he yeah. wants to spend all his money and, and everything. And then they, they realize that's hard to write for and it's not funny. And so they keep him that way. And when Jack talks about it in interviews, he says they were going to go for like a five-episode arc and they ended up going with two episodes, I think, maybe three, uh, to get him out of that mess. But, um, John, go ahead and tell us yeah. more about this. Well, and then, so they need a, a, he needs a new uh, quartet. So this episode is really ingenious and hilarious. It's basically a celebrity quartet. So uh, now you may have to help me with uh, all of the people. We got Dennis Day, of course, who's already there. You got Bing Crosby, who's the most famous. Dick Hames. And then who's the Dick other Hames. one? The, the other one I would never remember, but I told, I will never forget him now that I've listened. And, and it, it's the part of the show that had me laughing the most. It's Andy Russell. Because he says he's Andy Russell. And then, and then Dennis says, oh, Andy, where's Amos? Right. And, and makes fun of that part of the name. And then he goes, no. Jack says, no, it's Russell. And then and then Dennis he whistles. whistles like and he goes, Russell. not that Russell. It's <laughs> <laughs> I love that bit. And and it was and so I'm, I'll remember Andy Russell is <laughs> and I don't know where Andy Russell comes from. I don't He's know. A popular if, singer. Probably yeah. yeah. So yeah. But all the who had a great name did. that you could have fun with. So they really did a lot with that name. It's great. No, but these and and this was a very talented group of, of gentlemen, and they did it. They did a really nice job. Um, I liked their, I liked all the songs they did and everything. I thought it was great. Um, but of course, we need to bring up. It's, do you want me to just bring up the the thing with with Ben? Yeah, with like being? they're they're great singers. I don't know if they didn't get enough rehearsal time or whatever, but uh, they they didn't. You know, the sportsman quartet are smooth and they're together and they jive. Yeah. These guys are normally individual crooners. Yes. And so Bing Crosby's trying to sing something and he can't he can't quite keep up. Yeah. Well they well they, they, and and it's it's in a higher register. I mean the, the key is actually too high for him and he knows it. Yeah. At the beginning, it sounds good because I, I was listening for that. Because if you're a fan, you've heard this episode probably sometimes, and so I was listening it, and I was going, "Well, that sounds pretty normal key for for being at that part." But then what they did was they gave him a line they should have thrown to Dennis or one of the other singers, and you can see, you can hear his voice. He can't quite get to those notes, and then then he stops for a second and says. Who the hell picked this key, Dennis Day? And it's <laughs> hilarious. And the audience laughs and, and they just move on. I don't think they ever even like mention it again in the show. No. It's not like Jack even oh, picks like, up on it or anything. After the show. Yes. So. Yeah. Kathy, what happens behind the scenes? Yes, tell us. Oh, tell us well, Kathy. after the show, this is a part of this is the era when the network censors were uh, uh doing, you know, were really being vigilant against any kind of bad language or things like that or things they didn't like on the air. This is the era in which they were tossing, they were uh, uh, turning off the volume on Fred Allen because he dared make jokes about radio vice presidents. And then every time one of the other comics mentioned Fred Allen, they turned the volume off on them again. So there was this, it, uh, it's in the middle of a national uproar about uh, a radio stinks 
it is way too over commercialized there are all these people are arguing the fcc is trying to get involved and and so a radio's in hot water and it's trying to prove the networks and the sponsors are trying to prove that everything is high quality and above board but at the same time the spencer the uh, the uh, network sensors are being absolutely ridiculous about the things they complain about or try to get off the air or blue pencil. Right. And so the fact that this was a blooper made by the higher, highest priced crooner on radio, uh, 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 you couldn't have made a better advertisement or bit of publicity for the show if you tried. So right. it was a huge, a huge. Uh, a it bit goes of back publicity. to that early that that any publicity is good publicity or whatever, right? And yes. and and. And, and I don't think it, it 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 it's a thing that bothered, like I say, censors, networks, sponsors. You know, but did like it bother it, the uh, public? It, it I don't think to, the public you know. could care. They they hear people say worse language than this just walking down the street or whatever. So I I really don't think they, they probably minded. And Jack was in tune to that. And Jack's like, I'm not going to apologize for this. I'm just moving on. And they're like, no, you're going to apologize. You have to. And but, like, you know, no, not going to happen. But in, in 1938, for, you know, a, a, a almost, you know, another sort of small blooper, Mae West was kicked off the radio for years right. uh, for daring to say that uh, Charlie McCarthy could, uh, you know, uh, 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 play in her wood box. I yeah. Mean, like, well, if, if you hear the bit that she did with him, I mean, it is pretty – She's pushing it. She's pushing, and and you can tell um, the character of McCarthy, but but really, uh, it's, it's both their brands. They yeah. love to be they love to be saucy and push the but edge. He, but you can tell he was trying to pull it back and rein it in a little bit because he knows yeah. they're pushing it too far. Yeah. And and yeah, yeah so, no. and the fact that he but, didn't get in any trouble for it, and it's his show, and yeah, she gets exactly. banned from radio. Well, he, he is a wooden it. dummy. You can't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can burn him at the stake. So, uh, but, but, yeah. but just, but, uh, so this, it, it was another thing that brought publicity. It, you know, it ended up to the benefit of the show. My guess is they didn't have rehearsals because the fee for each one of these crooners, uh, you oh, didn't yeah. want to also have to pay them for rehearsals. So, well, but it wasn't that bad. It was thirty-five dollars a piece, and then fifty for for yeah, me. There you go. I, there you I go. thought that he yeah. was getting quite the deal. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, but. No, agreed. I, I'm sure it was they just brought him in. So and did it is. It is de- so it is delightful. It made all kinds of publicity for the show. I'd like to also mention that when the Sportsman started that fall, it was. I mentioned this when we started this arc. It was the newest thing in radio, and it got so much of publicity in and out of the radio industry. Finally, somebody's doing something new. We've got singing parody commercials. So. How terrific to take that, um, uh, instead of just having them um, uh, uh, do the same thing, this is, again, a brilliant PR move to, to go with this firing and to have this sort of arc of kerfuffle of, yep. uh, of Jack getting so mad at them and then looking for replacements until they come back. Well, and speaking of all of this and the, and the fact that, that this whole thing was ad-libbed about uh, him saying, who the hell picked this key, um, the... Uh, I, I'm as as we know the last couple of weeks I've mentioned that I am airing the scripts along with this in YouTube. So if you watch this on YouTube, if you're listening to this, I would suggest you go watch this one on YouTube so that when they hit that part, you can see how they documented, or if they even documented, if this is 
if there was ever a case where they wouldn't maybe write it down as broadcast, I could see them not write those words in. And, and I'm just curious because I haven't even yeah. seen it. I haven't looked at it yet. So, so is it going to be crossed out and they write that in or is it going to be not mentioned? Who knows? So, so we'll Doctor, all find you, out. Together. Are you bleeping it on your podcast? I am not. I'm going to keep it there. <laughs> well, that, that's the other thing I was thinking if Jack was to go, if if he was snarky like I would be, and, and you couldn't do this, of course, because then he would really get, well, this is the Fred Allen way of dealing with it would have been essentially this. If he went on and said, you know, last week we said hell on, Bing Crosby said hell uh -huh. on the show. If hell bothers you and you don't like hearing the word hell on, on radio, I, I'm just so sorry that we said hell uh, on the radio, on the radio, <laughs> and we'll we'll not try to do that again. And you know, my my sponsors and everything were, were upset with me, and um, you know, I, I've been I, I've been really sorry about that. I've been telling them that the, you know I, I've been trying to send them flowers and everything, and I'm telling them you know that that I'm willing to go anywhere they want to go, and and I, I can tell them where to go. But I, I, you know, I, I, but anyway, I, I am sorry for saying hell. So let's move on. So <laughs> that's how I would do it. <laughs> just, just lay it on. Say it as many times as possibly can. Uh, but that's not a Jack Benny thing. Jack's yeah. style is to not do. He's classier yeah. than I am. So no, but, but one thing that sets this show for 1947 apart, even though as so many of these things would be used in the sh show's later years in the um, early 50s, uh, not this particular thing, but so many other bits would be used again. I was so impressed by how tight and and um, overall excellent this show was that it starts with the wonderful routine about Jack being the MC at the Oscars and yeah. all these great, you know, um, uh, uh, jokes about him running the hat check uh, uh, a yeah. concession and, and Clark Gable only left, you know, left a nickel and, and no, no, G if Gable left a quarter and Margaret O'Brien left a nickel. And so it, it's it's so funny. It's not filled with dull filler, but this is a, a sharp, sharp show. So Yeah, yeah I, I forgot. I forgot. The, I forgot about that piece. And so I'll check, you know, if if because I have some of the um, I think I, I think I have this one. Uh, I have his appearance, Jack's, when he does the the Oscars um, and and uh, hosts, I, I think I have four of them maybe that he's done. And uh, and this might be one of the four. If it is, yeah, I'll this is, this is one that's well. available. Yeah. The thing is, it's three hours long. Yeah, I, I have listened to it. Thing. But it is, it's, oh. quite, it's quite a long program to like sit through and listen. So actually for my, for my uh, podcast, which you can find at thisdaybenny.com, Oh, really? uh, I, I, I cut. Uh, I didn't know that. You have hour... a podcast? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you should check it out. I cut the po uh, the uh, the episode of the Oscars, the actual performance, down to half hour, so yeah. it's more like ah. a radio show that you. Could well, I was going to say, oh, doesn't great. doesn't he? If I remember right, the beginning of it is sort of talking about what they're wearing and things as they're coming in or oh, something. Sure, yeah. It's like a pre-show. It's like the red carpet almost. And then yeah. he doesn't. Doesn't he sort of come in? Make, maybe the last half hour is really concentrated on Jack, and before that, he's not. I can't remember, but how that works. There, out. there is more than one Oscar episode. It's hard to remember which is which. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll go through and, and see yeah. and see what it's like. And wow. yeah, I, I always I edit it down because you can't. I mean, you can present it as the solid thing. It's some I've done it before, where I've just done it as a standalone where I present the whole thing, I just tell them, I'm just going to present the whole thing. You fast forward button is your friend and feel free to fast forward. Cause some people like to hear the whole thing, 
But in this case, if I'm tying it into episodes we're already presenting, I'll shorten it way down. But yeah, like you did half hour or something. But we'll see. Uh, am I present? Am I not? Um, any, anyway, uh, anything else for this episode as we're oh, going? There's, I, I, as, as long as other things in the episode, there's a great blooper by uh, uh, Eddie Anderson when Rochester's telling the story about the never-ending bread dough. Yes, where, yes. And then he keeps okay. screwing it up. Oh, yeah. and, 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 uh, so it was just, it was great fun. Uh, uh, but Jack didn't make too much of it, but everybody's laughing. No. And Rochester can't get the words right. Well, in that bit, I think if any of us were doing that bit, it would be hard. I mean, it's going back, it's the same words over and over again in different ways, and then you end up messing it up and saying the wrong word at the wrong time. It'd be hard. It'd be a hard bit to get right. So, uh, and and it's a it's a good bit. It's funny, and it's funnier that he that he messes it up. So I think that's actually good. And that'll be another thing that they can look at in the script. How does how do they reflect that yeah. thing? So, yeah. I think whenever they have ad libs, it's so interesting to see how they're going to document it in the scripts, but. John, you were going to say something. Just to briefly mention the Phil Harris program, which you're oh, yeah. presenting after yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because they do a thing that they do quite often on the Phil Harris Alice Faye show where they introduce them and they say, Alice Faye, and she sings a little bit of like, oh, you'll never know. And Phil Harris, oh, won't you come with me to Alabama? Mm-hmm. But in this one, he sings the whole song of That's What I Like About the South from beginning to end. So I thought that was interesting. Right. Wow. And it doesn't do that a lot of times on this show. And a, a, a few times, usually they pick different numbers for him to sing and things. And and the placing of it, like, is really interesting why, why they do that. But maybe yeah. the show was running short. And so they said, well, yeah. let's, let's just have him <laughs> sing the whole thing. I don't know. Um, that's, a, that's, that's one of the magical things that I have trouble understanding how you would do that like writing the jack benny show or writing the phil harris show and figuring out how much is going to be right about at a half hour with laughs worked in and everything else it would seem like it'd be so hard to judge that yeah there are some great articles uh that were like in newspapers and sometimes the fan magazines they called it the spread literally because i guess you're you're you know i mean the longer the laughs and yet laughter was currency um, you got a, a, a yeah. You didn't want to stop well, them necessarily, but you also no didn't exactly. Want to so the, the people counted the longness of laughs, and so you wanted as many big laughs as possible. You didn't want to squelch them, right? Um, and so it, it, you're right. It was quite a fine art of being able to because you because the networks were not forgiving. You could not go one second over, and we know what happened when Jack Benny when he was a first with um. A uh, 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 lucky strike. Like on the second show, he accidentally went over and they missed the closing commercial from New York. And uh, uh, George Washington Hill himself uh, uh, called Benny on the phone. And, you know, and, and it was like, oh my God, is he going to fire me? But I have a, a, there's a letter in Benny's collection at UCLA that from George Washington Hill that says, we've had a nice conversation. You completely understand me now. You will never, ever, (laughs) you will never, you know, the show is about the commercial. You will never, ever go over again. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a big difference when it's live versus, you know, whether you can edit it. I remember watching a special feature to the television show Friends of All Things, and they were talking about how 
oh, the laughs in real life at the studio audience are way longer, but we have to cut them down or we won't be able to fit the whole episode in. But at least they've got the ability to say, we want a longer laugh here. We want to, you know, cut right. this scene rather than that scene. Whereas if it's live, your only thing that you could cut would be the ending. Yeah, right. And sometimes they had to do that. And right. that's why having the scripts is so much fun because you will see where they misjudge something and, and they'll cut out like a, a whole bit that could be half a page or something. They'll have a big extra because they didn't even do that bit because apparently in the rehearsal or whatever, they decided, okay, this is going too long. We got to cut something. But what's lovely is in the script, you'll still have it. And you'll sometimes you'll read it and go, wow, that's a really good bit they cut. But you can see it's, self, it's always like a self-contained part that's not one of the callbacks or anything like that. Because you can't get rid of a callback. It won't, you know, you need right. those. So, so again, think of the, here's the struggle of writing a great script. And you've got to have this sort of collection of tiny little beads like that to put in there that can be taken back out. Okay. But the, can you imagine being the writer and be going, I spent, we, we you <laughs> know, me and my writing partner, for that little 20-second piece that they cut out, we spent at least... 10 minutes figuring that out and going, oh, that's really good. That's that's new. Let's put that in there. And then then it's like, oh, too long. Cut that out. It's gone. And but what do you what do? you'll see often is you'll cut out and then two weeks later, that wow. same bit will be put back in. And yeah, so they don't often leave it on the cutting room floor. They usually use it later on. But anyway, John, yeah, I think you were listening. And what do you do if you're short? Sometimes I wonder if like yeah. some of those, and maybe you know, some of those public service announcements where it's like, oh, this isn't the sponsor, but tell me, let me tell you about the Boy Scouts. Like, were those added in in case they were short? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it'd be interesting. <laughs> Sometimes they're really short, and you had like three of them back to back. Let me tell you about the Boy Scouts and and the Greeks making money for the for the Greeks or Greece or whatever it is yeah, they yeah. do, and, the, and all the other ones, and helping the uh, with the Marshall Project or, <laughs> or sure or pulling Jack back on and say, oh, next week our show, you know, so here I'm going to vamp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and it does, it, he never seems to vamp, but I mean, it could be. I, well, you know. there are, yeah, no, there are, again, little things we've seen in the scripts uh, you've shown us where, yeah. um, you know, it, it looks like it didn't make the air, but it's, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, we're on short of time, folks, bye. Right, and, and I can't wait, I mean, the, the scripts I really want people to see are like when Fred Allen's on or Bob Hope's on, because so often they'll be like, pages just taken out and then and then the poor person will be writing it all the stuff that bob hope says it's not in the script and then yeah it's it's, it's fun to watch, to see those scripts any anyway we'll uh let it go at that i think uh, enjoy this episode it's it's one of these very famous notorious episodes anyway and and it's and it's wonderful and i love it and uh, we'll get back to you next week for more of the saga of the sportsmen and what's going to happen to them. So uh, thanks. Thank you both. I mean, I just love doing these. So we'll uh, see you guys next time. The Jack Benny program presented by Lucky Strike. American. Fine tobacco is what counts in a cigarette. And year in, year out. LSMFT. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Yes. LSMFT. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. And in a cigarette, it's the tobacco that counts. Season after season, at market after market, independent tobacco experts, men who really know tobacco, can see the makers of Lucky Strike consistently select and buy that fine, that light, 
that naturally mild tobacco. Fine, light, naturally mild tobacco. Real Lucky Strike tobacco. And remember, this fine, lucky strike tobacco means real deep-down smoking enjoyment for you. So smoke that smoke of fine tobacco, Lucky Strike. So round, so firm, so fully packed. So free and easy on the draw. The Lucky Strike program starring Jack Betty with Barry Livingston, Phil Harris, Rochester, Dennis Day, and yours truly, Don Wilson. gentlemen, last Thursday night, the Academy Awards were given out to a favored few. All the Hollywood celebrities gathered at the Shrine Auditorium to take their hats off to the winners. And so tonight, we bring you the man who had the hat check concession, Jack Benny! Thank you, thank you. Hello again, hello again, this is Jack Benny talking, and Don, you shouldn't have introduced me as the man who had the hat check concession at the Academy Awards. I was master of ceremonies, too. <laughs> and Don, having the hat check concession certainly taught me a lot about those so-called big stars and pictures. What do you mean, Jack? You should see the tips they leave. <laughs> Cary Grant, 15 cents. <laughs> Clark Gable, 10 cents. <laughs> Margaret O'Brien, a nickel. <laughs> I felt like throwing it right back in her face. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I, I thought that, you know, I never saw such small tips. I thought that tambourine I had on the counter would help a little. And <laughs> what? And Don. Don. You know Rex Harrison? Yes. A shilling. <laughs> How do you like that? He thought because it looks like an American quarter, I wouldn't notice it. A shilling in this country? Well, what can you do with it? Let the owl drugstore worry about that. <laughs> I had breakfast there this morning. <laughs> anyway, Don, it was really a thrill seeing all those stars get those awards. Harold Russell, Ann Baxter, Frederick March, Olivia de Havilland. Ray Milland. Ray Milland? Did he win something again this year? No, he won an award last year. He just came back to get a new cork for it. <laughs> anyway, Don, the whole affair was really exciting. Well, tell me, Jack, who else was there? Well, it was Jane Wyman, Gregory Peck, Lionel Barrymore, Larry Parge, Dinah Shore, Hugo Carmichael. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh... Hugo Carmichael? Jack, you mean Hoagie Carmichael. Don, if Hugo is good enough for Sam Goldwyn, it's good enough for me. <laughs> but, Jack... Don, I know what I'm doing. I never worked for Goldwyn. I'm not going to louse up my chances. <laughs> anyway, Don, it was such a wonderful affair, I was proud that they picked me as Master of Ceremonies. Well, Jack, I can understand you're being honored and thrilled. As a matter of fact, I, too, have something to be proud of. Really? What, Don? Well, this is television week, and they've asked me to appear on a television program. You on television? Don, Don, let me look at you. Will you? Don, Don, wait a minute. Turn around again, will you? 
No, no, it'll never work, Don. It'll never work. You, you, you can forget about television. Why? They'll never get a 60-inch beam on a 10-inch screen. <laughs> Believe me. Oh, Jack, I wish you wouldn't kid me about my size. I'm not so fat. You're not, eh? How about the time he got stuck in the Hollywood Bowl? I remember... Oh, hello, Mary. Hello, Jack. Hello, Don. Hello, Mary. What are you talking about, fellas? Oh, the Academy Awards, television, and Don's stomach. You can take your choice of subjects. <laughs> well, I picked television. And, Don, I read a wonderful poem about it. A poem about television? Well, let's hear it. Okay. Television is here to stay, and it won't be hard to sell it. Now you can hear and see Jack's show, and soon you'll be able to smell it. <laughs> Mary, don't talk about my show. Have you ever tuned into Fred Allen's program when the wind is from the east and your air conditioning is fighting a losing battle? <laughs> enough to make you lose faith in your air wick. <laughs> oh, Jack, I'm just teasing. If you want to know something, I went to the Academy Thursday and I thought you were wonderful at Master Ceremony. Well, thanks, Dollface. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but I still had a feeling that when they're giving out the award, you thought the committee was unfair. I thought the committee was unfair? What gave you that impression? You were the only one on the stage with a picket sign. <laughs> I wasn't picketing. The sign said, keep your eye on your own hat and coat. I'm on the stage now. <laughs> I wasn't a bit jealous. When Olivia de Havilland won her award, I walked right over to her, slapped her on the back, and said, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> what are you laughing at, Barry? <laughs> then Olivia slapped Jack on the back. His toupee slipped down over his eyes, and Jack whispered, kiss me, honey, the lights went out. That <laughs> <laughs> was a long speech, and you got it out. But that's what happened... I'm always worried about those long speeches. <laughs> but that could happen to anyone, really. Oh, but seriously, Jack, I thought you looked wonderful up there on the stage. And that good-looking tuxedo. Where'd you rent it? I didn't rent that tuxedo. I know you didn't buy it. Now, come on, where'd you get it? Mary, let's drop the subject. By the way, where were you sitting? Oh, about the tenth row. And, Jack, you'll never guess who was sitting right in front of me. Who? Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman. Ronald Coleman was there? What was he wearing? <laughs> <laughs> well, you beat me to that joke. <laughs> he must have two of them. Jack, you Mary, we made a deal. Ronnie loaned me his tuxedo, and I returned his lawnmower. <laughs> now, what's the use of being neighbors? Hello, if... Mr. Benny. Hello, Mary. Hello, Hello Dennis. Dennis. I'm sorry I'm late, Mr. Benny, but I had trouble with my new car. Dennis, I didn't know you had a car. Yes, my first one. When I drove down to the studio, I had to go around the block 86 times before I ran out of gas and the car stopped. Well, that's the silliest thing. Dennis, when you want to stop a car, all you have to do is step on the brake. Oh, brake. Now, don't start that again. And now that you're here, let's have your song. What's it going to be? Well, tomorrow is St. Patrick's Day, so I thought I'd like to sing Johnny God. Well, in short, and I'd be disappointed if you didn't. That's Go ahead. Good. It seems like only yesterday I left the port of Cork, and on a ship from old Erin's Isle, I landed in New York. 
without a friend to meet me there and a stranger on the shore. I wore an honest Irish heart and fortune came galore. So here I am going back to dear old Erin's Isle. The friends will meet me on the pier and they'll greet me with a smile. There are faces there that I'll surely forget for I was so long away. Oh, my mother will introduce them all and this to me will say, shake hands at your uncle Mike, me boy, shake hands at your sister Kate. Here is the girl you used to swing down on the garden gate. Shake hands with all the neighbors and kiss the Colleen's all. Oh, you're as welcome as the flowers are made to dear old Johnny Gall. They'll give a party when I get back and they'll come from near and far. They'll line the road for miles and miles with Irish yawning cars. The spirits are flowing, we'll all be gay and we'll fill our hearts with joy. The piper will play an Irish reel to greet the Yankee boy. Oh, what a party we'll have there. I'm telling you, never see the likes of it. Tomorrow after the church I'll go And wedded I will be To my pretty little Colleen Bond Sweet Nellie McGee Oh Nellie was true and faithful To her Ginny are the sea We'll join the harp and jamra To the stars of liberty They'll come Brannigan, Flanagan, Milligan, Gilligan Duffy, McCuffy, Malacca, Mahone Rafferty, Lafferty, Donnelly, Connolly Dolly, O'Dolly, Muldowny, Malone Madigan, Cadigan, Lanahan, Flanahan Fagan, O'Hagan, O'Hulahan, Finn Shanahan, Lanahan, Ogany, Fogany Kelly, O'Kelly, O'Benny, McGinn <laughs> Then I'll shake the hand of my Uncle Mike, the hand of my sister Kate. Oh, I'll hug and squeeze as much as I please the girl in the garden gate. I'll invite all the neighbors to me wedding great and small. And I'll live content and pay no friends in dear old Song by Dennis Day. Very good, Dennis. Ah, oh, bless your may your cows never go dry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Mr. Benny, what? I sang that song for my mother. You what? I sang that song for my mother. Oh, well, it certainly is an appropriate song. I don't know anyone more Irish than your mother. Yeah, she wouldn't see the Jolson story till I told her it was the life of Pat O'Brien. <laughs> No. And she liked that new picture about Jerome Kern. Which one? Till the McClouds roll by. <laughs> Till the McClouds roll by. I bet his mother thinks NBC stands for Nolan Brannigan and Cassidy. Well, as long as it keeps her happy, I guess it's. Hiya, all... Livy. Hello, kid. Sorry I'm late, Buster. <laughs> well, Phil, look, it's about time you got here, you know Well, it wasn't my fault, Jackson, and I got a good excuse Yeah, yeah, I know You're going to tell me that you overslept, jumped out of bed, dressed as fast as you could, and rushed over here Hey, how did you know? You left a curler in your hair <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I got a curler in my hair, I overslept a little, I'm sorry, I'm late, and let's forget it Forget it? Unless you want to make something out of it no, I don't want to make anything out of it. Phil, you must have gotten up on the wrong side of the bed. Why? You've got Alice's shoes on. <laughs> yeah. How do you like that? I told her a thousand times, put them under the pillow, Blondie. Put them under the pillow. <laughs> Look, Phil, stop kidding. You wore Alice's shoes for a gag. You got your laugh. Now take them off. What are you talking about, Jackson? We need that kind of laugh. Sight stuff. Television is here. I know, I know. Ah, uh -huh, television. That's when I'll shine. When yeah. people can hear and see Harris. 
Shangri-La with a ham hock. <laughs> Isn't that awful? You know, folks, he really thinks he's handsome. Phil, what makes you so egotistical? I ain't egotistical. I'm much better looking than I think I am. Oh. So you're not conceited, eh? Not me. In my family, Alice is the one who's conceited. Alice? Yeah, she thinks she's prettier than I am. Why, the ingrate. After all the years, you let her support you. <laughs> now, Phil. Phil. Stardust eyes. Narcissus boy. Hey, Schlemiel. What? <laughs> How about picking up your baton and making like you're leading a band? Then see if you can't. Who can that be? Come in. Yes, Mr. Benny. My name is Lewis. On last Thursday night, the Motion Picture Academy of Arts and Sciences gave out their annual award. Yes, yes, that's right. At that affair, you were the master of ceremonies, weren't you? Yes, yes. In fact, I was on the stage during the entire proceeding. Oh, that's what I want to see you about. There's an Oscar missing. Now, wait a minute, Mr. Lewis. Does the Academy Award Committee think for one minute that a man in my position, a celebrity, a star for 15 years, a man who was respected by millions, would stoop so low as to steal an Oscar? Yes. <laughs> Oh. He borrowed the tuxedo, too. Mary, please. Mr. Lewis, I consider that an insult, and I wish that you'd get out of here now. Now, go on, get out. All right. But before I go, there's another matter I want to talk to you about. The Owl Drug Store. Get out of here. <laughs> That's gratitude for you. The Academy Committee calls me up, asks me to be master of ceremonies, so I accept. What happens? Do I get any thanks? No. Do I get any salary? No. Just taxi fare and a lousy cheese sandwich. No butter. Hey, Jackson, what about my band number? Just a minute, Phil. We've got to have a commercial first. Go ahead, Don. Let's have the commercial. Well, Jack, I'm glad you finally got around to it. What? I've got a surprise for you. Surprise? What is it? Well, you had trouble getting a quartet. The sponsor insisted on having one, so I took things in my own hands. Wait a minute, Don. You took things in your own little fat hands before. <laughs> you got the sportsman quartet. They cost me $500 a week, and that's what caused all the trouble. But, Jack, I got you another quartet, and it isn't going to cost you nearly as much. I don't care about... Jack, I... give him a chance to talk. Maybe this new group will satisfy the sponsor and solve your whole problem. Well, all right, Don. What did you do? I mean, who have you got? Well, first of all, I only had to get three other fellows because you've already got Dennis, and you pay him anyway. Well, now you're really thinking, Don. Uh, where are the other three guys? Oh, they'll be here any minute. Okay, Don, I'll give them a chance. Who can tell? Maybe they'll... I'll get it. Hello? Hello, Mr. Benny, this is Rochester. Hello, Rochester, what do you want? I'm in a lot of trouble, boss. You shouldn't have asked me to bake a loaf of bread for dinner tonight. Why, what happened? Well, I took a small bowl and put in two cups of flour. Uh-huh. Then I put in a cake of yeast. Uh-huh. Then I added one cup of water and stirred it together. Well? It looked kind of dry, so I added more water. I see. Since I added more water, I threw in another cake of yeast. Well, isn't that a lot of yeast? That's what I thought, so I put in more water. More flour. More, more, more flour. Yeah. More flour, I yeah. see. <laughs> that, that made it too dry, so then I added more water. Rochester. That made it too soggy, so I put in some more yeast. More yeast? So to balance the, pro the, the, to balance the prop proportions, <laughs> I added more flour. 
one. You didn't let it drop, anyway. Huh? Yeah, I, I balanced the proportions with more flour. Flour? That made it too dry, so I poured in a quart of champagne. Champagne? I had to do something to break the monotony. Rochester, that's ridiculous, mixing champagne with flour, water, and yeast. We got the only loaf of bread with a bun on it. <laughs> Now, stop being silly. You made this whole thing up, and you know it. <laughs> I thought so. Now, come on, Rochester. What'd you really call me for? You know that thing you brought home Thursday night that you woke me up to show it to me? Yes. Do I shine it with bronze polish or gold polish? Don't bother shining it. I have to give it back. <laughs> Goodbye. Oh, say, boss. Now what? You rascal, you. <laughs> Never mind. Goodbye. Goodbye. He makes up the wildest things I've ever heard in my life. Now, Don, what about the quartet you say you've got? Dennis is here. Where are the other three fellows? Well, Jack, they ought to be here any minute. In fact, here comes one now, Andy Russell. Andy Russell? Andy, I can't believe this. I mean, do you want to be in my quartet? Why, sure, Jack, if it'll help you out. Gee, this is wonderful. Dennis, this is Andy. Where's Amos? <laughs> it's not the Andy and Amos and Andy. This is Russell. Not that Russell. <laughs> Now, Andy, I'm thrilled with having you in my quartet. But, uh, uh, uh... That's Portuguese for how much money do you want? <laughs> yes, Portuguese. I mean, how much money would you want? Oh, $35 a week. $35 a week? Mm-hmm. I can't believe it. Well, would 30 be all right? <laughs> no, no, I'm perfectly willing to pay $35. You must spend at least half of that for tooth powder. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> must be wonderful to have such sparkling teeth. Well, it has its drawbacks. Huh? Well, when I talk to Don Amici, we blind each other. <laughs> I can understand that. Well, anyway, Andy, you Oh, hold it, Jack, hold it. Here comes another member of the quartet. Dick Haim! Dick Haim! <laughs> Dick, I haven't seen you since you were on my show three years ago. Oh, I know, Jack. It's nice to be with you again. Well, thanks, thanks. But tell me, Dick, why are you wearing those dark glasses? Well, Andy Russell might smile, and I'm not taking any chances. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, the teeth. Mary, Mary, you remember, uh, you remember Dick Hames, don't you? Hoo-hoo-hoo! Mary! <laughs> well, Dick, I'm certainly thrilled having you as a member of the quartet, but, uh, 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 uh... What? What's the matter, Dick? Can't you understand Portuguese? <laughs> Dick, what I'm trying to say is, well, if you're going to be in the quartet, how much money would you want? $35 a week. $35 a week? Well, now, Jack, if you're going to start haggling, just forget about it. No, 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 I'm not haggling. I mean, I, I think you're worth every cent of it, you know? But, of course, I can't make hold it... Hold it, Jack, hold it. Here comes another member of the quartet. Bing Crosby! Yeah! <laughs>
King Crosby. When the blue of the night meets the gold of the day, L-S-M-S-T. Bing Crosby, I can't get over it. You were expecting maybe a transcription. <laughs> I'm so surprised to see you. By the way, Bing, how's Dixie? Ask Senator Claghorn. <laughs> oh, Crosby, you shouldn't have wasted that one here, hoping to give you two bucks for it. <laughs> well, we needed that one. Now, Bing, believe me, I'd love to have you as one of my quartet, but, uh... Fifty dollars. I understand Portuguese. Fifty dollars? Wait a minute, Bing. Andy Russell and Dick Hames are both willing to work for thirty-five dollars. Why do you want fifty? I got four kids. <laughs> Oh, yes, yeah. I read where you're going to put him in the movie. Yeah, one of them is almost nine. It's, he's been loafing around the house long enough. I <laughs> well, look, fellas, I know that you're all good singers individually, and Dennis has been with me a long time, but do you think you can all give me what I want as a quartet? Um... <laughs> Wait a minute, fellas. That's your idea of a quartet. You're starting off on the wrong foot. Don't worry, Jack. Don't worry. They're just warming up. Now, do you want to hear what they prepared? Of course, of course. Now, let's see. 35 and 35 is 70, and 50 is 120. Not bad. All right, Don, let's see if they're worth... I mean, let's see what they've got to offer. Okay, fellas, let's have it. I'll be loving you always With a love that's true always Always When the things you plan Need a helping hand I will understand Always, always L-S-M-F-T Always Fellas, wait a minute That's the smoke for me Oh, who the hell picked up his key, Dennis Day? <laughs> Not for just enough good and the commercial was all right, but for my purposes, I gotta have something a little more lively. Do you think you can do it? Yes, sir. You bet. Why, well, sure. Yeah, I've been smoking cocos for now under 20 years. No, no. No, no, Bing. That's not what I mean. Oh, Jack, Bing's right. Every time you sit down to listen to your radio, your autolite are lucky. Autolite. You had to get the plug in, huh? Now, come on, fella. I want to hear a livelier number. How about it? Okay, take it, boys. He always sings. Raggy music to the candle as it swings. Back and forward in the saddle on a horse. Pretty good horse. Kind of stinker paid a dinner. such a funny meter to the roar of his repeater. How they run, oh, how they run. When they hear the fellow's gun, because the western folks all know. He's a highfalutin' scootin' shootin' son of a gun from Arizona. Ragtime cowboy. Oh, that cowboy. L-S-M-F-P. Puff, puff. Now, fellas, 
The singing I can't complain about, but that time you didn't give me enough commercial and was just a little bit too fast. I want something in between the two numbers that you sang. Oh, we have another song, Jack. It'll be just exactly what you like. You have? Hey, Dick, I'll sing bass this time. No, no, I want to sing bass. I think I think I ought to sing bass and get down where the money is. <laughs> Look, fellas, don't argue about it. Why don't you flip a coin for us? I think the old man is right here. I got a coin. What do you say, Dick? Heads or tails? Hey, Bing, where'd you get that funny-looking quarter? I had lunch at the old drugstore. <laughs> Look, fellas, you're holding up the show. Now, this cost me $120. If you don't attend a business, I'll call the whole thing off. Now, come on, let me have your other song. Yes, yes Mr. Penny. Take it, boys. Nothing could be finer than Goldsboro, Carolina in the morning. Don and Phil and Jack go out and pick that fine tobacco in the morning. Round and firm and fully. You left out a word. Easy on the draw, it's jolly. It is the best tobacco. That you have ever saw. Uh, bad English, fellas. Empty boon and speedy never looked the least bit speedy want, in yeah. the morning. They're picking and they're planting while they're singing and they're chanting in the morning. No, fellas, that's not it. Look, smoke lucky, they will love you in Kentucky. That's not what I want. Look, fellas, that's Don. Now give me your lucky strike, one for Pat and one for Mike. No, that's not what I want. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a Now, look, fellas, you tried, you meant well, and believe me, I appreciate it. But you boys just won't do. What? what? How do you like that? Now, you can leave your names, and maybe something will come up. <laughs> so long, fellas. Well, how do you like that? There's no use talking. I just got to get my old quartet back. Jack will be back in just a First, here is Basil Rivesdale. As you listen to the chant of the tobacco auctioneer, remember... L-S-M-F-T. At 50-59, American. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. And in a cigarette, it's the tobacco that counts. Mr. Alexander G. Irvin of Reedsville, North Carolina, has been a tobacco warehouseman for 14 years. He really knows tobacco. So listen to what he said. Uh, facts are facts. And at the auction, for a good many seasons, I've seen the makers of Lucky Strike buy good, ripe, mellow tobacco. The kind of fine tobacco that you just can't beat for real smoking quality. I've smoked Luckies myself for 14 years. Remember, independent tobacco experts like Mr. Irvin can see the makers of Lucky Strike consistently select and buy that fine, that light, that naturally mild tobacco. Fine, light, naturally mild tobacco. No doubt about it. L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco. Yes. L-S-M-F-T. Lucky Strike means fine tobacco, and fine tobacco means real, deep-down smoking enjoyment for you. So smoke that smoke of fine tobacco, Lucky Strike. So round, so firm, so fully packed, so free and easy on the draw. 
I want to thank Bing Crosby, Dick Haynes, and Andy Russell for being with us tonight. It was very nice. Hey, uh, Jackson, just a minute. What is it, Bing? Weekly Variety, which is the outstanding newspaper of the entertainment world, has given you an award for your 15 years in radio. We feel that your weekly clam bakes on the air have been consistently right in the groove for lo these many years, and I agree with them. Congratulations. Well, thanks, Bing. Thanks very much. On behalf of my cast and writers who have been with me so long, I want to thank the Variety for this honor. And say, Bing, it was nice of you to make this presentation to me, but I wish you'd do me a favor. Sure, Jack. Anything. What is it? After all, we got a classy program. The next time you come over, tuck your shirt in, will you? I mean, those palm trees waving around upset me. Good night, folks. W. Fitch Company presents The Fitch Bandwagon, starring Alice Faye. You'll never know just how much I love you. You'll never know just how much I care. And Phil Harris. Won't come with me to Alabama? Let's go see my dear old mammy. She's frying eggs and broiling hammy. And that's what I like about the South. Now, there you can make no mistakey. Where those nerves, I'm never shaky. Or to taste that layer cakey. That's what I like about the South. She's got baked ribs and candied yams. Those sugar-cured Virginia hams. Basement full of those berry jams. And that's what I like about the South. Hot corn, bread, and black-eyed peas. You can eat as much as you please. Cause it's never out of season. That's what I like about the South. Ah, don't take one. Have two that dark brown and chocolate too. Suits me. They must suit you, because that's what I like about the sound. Way, way down where the cane grows tall Down where they say you all Walk on in with that southern drawl Cause that's what I like about the South It's down where they have those pretty queens Keep a dreamin' Those dreamy dreams Let's ship that absent in New Orleans That's what I like about the South Here come old Bob with all the news Got the box back coat and the button shoes But he's all caught up with his union dues And that's what I like about the South Here come old Roy down the street Who oh, can't you care those couple of feet He would rather sleep than eat And that's what I like about the South Now every time I pass your door You act like you don't want me no more Why don't you shake that head and sign I'll go walking right on by Gone on, on and on and on Honey, when you tell me that you love me, then how come you close your eyes? Did I tell you about the place called Do I Diddy? It ain't no town, it ain't no city. It's just awful small, but awful pretty will do. What? Well, 
I didn't come here to criticize. I'm not here to sympathize. But don't tell me those no good lies. Was the lying gal I do despise. You love me like I love you, some fifty. PDQ, Rose the Red, and Violet to think I'm gonna get old fifty. I don't She's got backbones and butter beans, ham, hocks, and turnip greens. You and me in New Orleans, and that's what I like about the style. Last Thursday at the Harris's began just like any other ordinary day. Phil arose bright and early around 12.30. And as we drop in on him now, he's standing in front of the bathroom mirror preparing to shave. Ah, good morning, filthy. You monster, you. Good morning, Daddy. Oh, oh hello, kids. Can we watch you shave, Daddy? Oh, you want to watch me Shave, sure. Sit right down. You see, Phyllis, I told you he couldn't resist an audience. <laughs> what do you mean? Your daddy's a pretty handsome-looking guy. Well, ain't I? You better agree with him, Alice. He's got a razor in his hand. <laughs> now, cut that out. One wise guy in the family's enough. What kind of shaving cream is that? Fit shaving cream. What kind of lotion is that? Fitch aftershave lotion. What kind of hair tonic is that? Fitch ideal hair tonic. Poor Daddy. They own him body and soul. <laughs> Gee whiz, my whiskers are tough this morning. I wonder what's wrong. Daddy, you're shaving your chin strap. Now look, kids, will you get on downstairs and leave me alone? Go on downstairs. All right. Why do those kids have to heckle me? I have enough trouble with their mother. <laughs> Beautiful, how you beautiful dove, you good morning. Phil, you ought to be ashamed of yourself getting up this late. Look at the kitchen clock. Yeah. It's got one hand over its left eye and the other one Phil, is... Phil, that's a quarter of... Don't help me. Let me figure it out for myself. <laughs> oh, this is ridiculous, you staying in bed till noon. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with it? It's disgraceful. Look at other men. Well, I do, but somehow they don't appeal to me. <laughs> You're impossible. You don't know what hard work is. Why, when I make a picture, I get up every morning at 7 a.m. Sure you do. You got to. Them pictures you make can't stand the heat of day. <laughs> well, Harris, I've had just about enough out of you. I wait breakfast for you two hours, and then when you do come down, you have the nerve to criticize my pictures. I won't stand for it, you hear? I won't stand for it. Alice. <laughs> Honey, how come you never married that other guy? What other guy? You know. My time is yours. <laughs> Your time is not my time. Very funny, funny liver lips. Now get out of here. Well, wait a minute. What about my breakfast? Get out, you, you animated ham hock. <laughs> but Alice... Get out of this house. Oh. 
Alice. I told you to get out of here. I can't. Why not? You chased me into the broom closet. <laughs> hmm. Imagine a pretty thing like me having to come downtown for breakfast. Well, this diner don't look too bad. Gee, there ain't nobody in there. How do you do? <laughs> Isn't this lovely weather for Chicago? <laughs> Chicago? What's the matter with you, bub? This is California. It is? <laughs> of course it is. I told the boss not to build a diner behind the super chief. <laughs> Look, don't make with the jokes, will you? Bring me a cup of coffee. We got some lovely rhubarb pie. No, no, just coffee. Just coffee? That's right. You mean you don't want no rhubarb pie? <laughs> no, no, just coffee, that's all. Very well. Some people are so neurotic. <laughs> Hi, Curly. Frankie. Hey, what are you doing in here? I come in to get my guitar a cup of coffee. Your guitar a cup of coffee? Yeah, it had a bad night. Come home this morning with a strange mandolin. Oh. <laughs> stop it, will you stop hey, it? Hey, what are you doing in this one-armed joint? Ain't the movie star feeding you no more? Nah, we... We had a little beef. A beef? What's wrong? I don't know. She gets this way every year around Academy Award time. <laughs> I seen where Frederick March beat her out again. <laughs> but you know, Curly, the trouble with you is you're handling Alice all wrong. What do you mean? Why don't you get smart? Do like that James Mason in pictures. Go home and beat her with a cane. <laughs> oh, Frankie, stop it. This kid's Irish. I ain't fooling with her around St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> well, look, Curly, I got a better idea. I've been meaning to take a little camping trip for a long while now. Why don't you and me take a couple of days off and really rough it? Rough it? Yeah, maybe do a little fishing. Well, Sure. I... And a few days away from home will show Alice you ain't tied to her apron strings. Hey, wait a minute, Frankie. You ain't the guy that writes Kate Smith's talks, are you? <laughs> Who do I look like? Tom Collins? <laughs> show me one. Now, think of it, Curly. <laughs> Curly I knew be... that wasn't going to get nothing when we put it in. <laughs> the fella can clean up after we leave. It'll be just the two of us fighting nature in the raw. Yeah, where would we go? Well, we could pitch a tent up around Sepulveda Dam. But, Frankie, that's only a few miles from Hollywood, and you know there ain't no wildlife around Sepulveda Dam. Oh, no. Have you seen some of the things in our drinking water? <laughs> Sure, but you pour a little bourbon in it and they curl up and die. <laughs> now, look, Curly, this is your chance to show Alice who's boss. You go home and get ready and I'll meet you up by the dam at 5 o'clock. Okay, Frankie, I'll see you up there at 5. An old saying goes, it's what you do with what you've got that counts. And so it is with your hair. It's the way you care for it that makes the big difference. If you want to keep your hair thoroughly clean, soft, and shining with sparkling highlights, use Fitch's Dandruff Remover Shampoo regularly. For Fitch contains a special reconditioning action that beautifies as it cleanses. 
This action works for all colors and textures of hair in hard or soft water. And it's so gentle it will not harm even a baby's tender scalp. Fitch's reconditioning process adds a soft and shining radiance to the natural beauty of your hair and leaves it ever so easy to manage. Fitch shampoo has been granted the good housekeeping seal. So use Fitch's dandruff remover shampoo regularly and make the most of your hair. See how its new radiance perks up even your most becoming hairdo. Fitch is spelt F-I-T-C-H. doing by that hall closet? Well, I'm getting some things together. Me and Frankie's going on a camping trip. Oh, that's nice. It is? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think it's a fine idea. Well, you don't understand, woman. I'm going out and face nature in the raw. Won't that be a little chilly? I don't mean that. <laughs> Me and Frankie are camping up by Sepulveda Dam. Oh, Phil, that's only a 20-minute walk from here. Well, there's plenty of woods up that way. And I'm meeting Frankie there at 5 o'clock. Well, when are you leaving? Right now. Goodbye. Now, wait a minute. It ain't going to do you no good to try and talk me out of it. <laughs> I'm not trying to talk you out of it. Well, here I go. Go ahead and close the door. You're letting the cold air in. Oh. Well, goodbye. Phil, you're still inside. Oh, oh. Oh, so I am. Well... Goodbye. Goodbye, Phil. Well, I'm on my way. Gosh, it almost broke that kid's heart to see me leave. <laughs> but she put up a brave front, though. Well, Harris, here you go, marching into the wilderness just like Nelson Eddy in all of them pictures. Give me some men who are stout-hearted men who will fight for the rights they adore. Start me with ten who are stout-hearted men, and I'll soon show you ten thousand more. <laughs> Coming, Mommy? Why, you know that one, Alice. I've sung it to you many times. Oh, yes. It's that song with the funny name. That's right, honey. It's all about a little place in Ireland called Guacamole. <laughs> Is that little brook still leaping there? 
As it flows on down to Donico, through Killy Bay, Kilcarry and Kildare, how are things in Glockamara? Is that willow tree still weeping there? Does that laddie with the twinkling eyes come whistling by? And does he walk away sad and dreamy there? Not to see me there. So I ask you to weep in willow and each brook along the way and each lad that comes a whistling to the lake. Is Phil there? Why, no, Frankie. He just left to meet you up by the dam. See, that's too bad. I ain't going to be able to make it. You're not. No, my girl won't let me go. <laughs> We're making fudge tonight. <laughs> well, maybe some other time. So long, Alice. Oh, but Frankie. Oh, he hung up. Now, Phil's going to be up there all alone. Oh, I hope he'll be all right. He's such a baby. Groceries! Who's that? It's me, Miss Faye, Julius Abruzio. Well, Julius, aren't you awfully late with the groceries today? Yeah, my motor scooter broke down coming up the hill. Oh, that's too bad. What was the trouble? Well, it was in, if you'll excuse the expression, the rear end. <laughs> Let's put the groceries over there, Julius. Okay. Well, goodbye, Miss Faye. I'll see you next Thursday. Goodbye. Oh, Julius. Yeah? I wonder if you'd do me a favor. A favor? Fair lady, my title and my lands are yours to command. I read that in Ivanhoe. <laughs> well, look, Mr. Harris went up by the Sepulveda Dam on a camping trip, and I wanted to come home, and I wonder if you could help me find him when you finish your grocery route. You want a piece of advice? What? Wave well enough alone, he may never come back. <laughs> no, no, I'm serious. Well, you better wear some hiking clothes. It's pretty rugged up there. I will. Thank you, Julius. Okay, Miss Faye. I'll be back in a couple of hours and go with you. Till then, farewell, soulmate. <laughs> Oh, 
Gosh, it's getting cold up here, and this fire ain't much help. Gee, it's almost 8.30. I wish Frank would show up with that tent. Uh-oh. There's something in those bushes. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's coming this way. Frankie? Howdy, partner. Oh. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I, I was just sitting here waiting for a friend. Oh, don't apologize, old-timer. I'll meet a lot of hobos in these here hills. <laughs> hey, uh... You're a cowboy. Well, I was. I come out here looking for work and pictures and went busted. What you cooking on that fire? Some gullion? No. No, I was just roasting a marshmallow. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Say, uh, cowboy, uh, where are you from? Texas. The folks back in Abilene said to me, Rusty, why don't you take your horse, your guitar, and your cowboy outfit, go up to Hollywood and make a name for yourself? Oh, I see. So I took my horse, my guitar, and my cowboy outfit and showed up here at one of the big studios. And they gave me a part. What did you play? A Nazi spy. <laughs> hey. Hey, what was that? Oh, just a coyote telling his trouble to the moon. Gee, I didn't know there was animals up here. Why, sure. Say, I'm feeling kind of lonely tonight. Mind if I set a spell? No, I'd be glad to have you. Go right ahead. Think I'll strum my guitar here and sing me a song. It's about a little blue-eyed gal I left back home. Gee, a blue-eyed gal. Alice has got blue eyes, too. Oh, I'm thinking tonight of my blue eyes Who is sailing far over the sea Oh, I'm thinking tonight of the lonely, and I wonder if she ever thinks of me. <laughs> when the cold, cold shadows fall around me, won't you come love just one day? And the strangers around you is the heart you have broken lies here. Oh, I'm of my blue eyes. I say, I gotta be getting along here. I hope it cheered you up a little. (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah, you sure did, Rusty. <laughs> I feel 100% better now. I figured you would. Say, uh, do you really have to be going? Yep. Well, so long. So long, Rusty. <laughs> Gee, what a night, and Frankie ain't showed up. Oh, I'm going to quit this. I wonder if I ought to go home. No, Alice would only laugh at me. Oh. Oh, there's them coyotes again, or maybe it's a mountain lion. I ain't been this scared since they started drafting fathers. <laughs> well, I'm just going to try to stick it out for another hour. Gee, my face. We've been shaking these woods for half an hour now. Yes, I wonder where Phil could be. Hey, maybe he was set up by wolves. <laughs> no, Julius, they never eat their own kind. <laughs> hey, you know, Miss Faye, in them hiking boots and that hunting jacket, you look just like a man. A man? Yeah, but something deep within me tells me different. <laughs> Julius, suppose you and I split up. You mean forever, soulmate? <laughs> no, no, I mean you go that way and look for Phil, and I'll circle around over there by that clump of bushes. Okay. Whoever finds him first can let out a coyote howl. All right. Be careful now. Oh, dear, I wonder where Phil can be. Maybe I'd better... Uh-oh. There he is now, over by that fire. Gee, he must be awfully frightened. He's trying to bury his head in the sand. <laughs> well, I better go over and make sure it's him before I let Julius know. Uh-oh. There's something coming through those bushes. Is it a man? No, it walks more like a duck. <laughs> oh, that's some kind of a horrible beast. Well, here goes. I hope Julius hears this. Good gosh, it's a coyote on his hind legs. Please get moving. Phil! Phil, watch out for that tree! Ooh. Ooh. Oh, my. He knocked himself out. Head. Where am I? You're home, Phil. Home? Yes. Julius and I found you in the woods and brought you back. Oh, honey, it was awful. I know, Phil. I got out in them woods and Frankie didn't show up, see? And then about 22 coyotes jumped. 22? <laughs> yeah, 22 of them. I fought them off for an hour single-handed until a big one with blonde hair let me have it from behind with a blackjack. <laughs> blackjack? Yeah. Great big blackjack. <laughs> And then they ate all my marshmallows. <laughs> oh, you poor thing. You're Mommy's little hero. Yes, I am. Now, look, you stay here, and I'll go out in the kitchen and get you a nice glass of hot milk. No, no. No, now, don't do it. You ring for Sissy. Let her get it. But why? I'm afraid to get off your lap. <laughs> Alice and Phil will be back in just a moment. 
Friday marks the official arrival of spring when we all blossom out in something new. But remember, even if you greet spring in the most fashionable new outfit, you won't look well-groomed if you have unsightly dandruff on your hair or shoulders. So, why risk embarrassment? Use Fitch's Dandruff Remover Shampoo, the shampoo that removes dandruff completely the first time you use it. It's the only shampoo made whose guarantee to remove dandruff with the first application is backed by one of the world's largest insurance firms. Fitch penetrates and cleanses the thousands of tiny hair openings on the scalp, dissolving all traces of dandruff. Then it forms a rich, snowy white lather to float it away. Yes, Fitch dissolves and floats dandruff away. Use Fitch shampoo for hair that's dandruff-free and sparkling clean. Get ready for spring. Buy an economical bottle of Fitch's Dandruff Remover Shampoo at drug or toilet goods counters or have professional applications at beauty or barber shops. Before we say goodnight, Alice and I want to thank the editors of Radio Mirror for those swell color shots and that great write-up in the April issue. It was great, fellas, and believe me, we appreciate it. Also, our special thanks to Bob Atcher. Good night. Good night. Tune in next week when the F.W. Fitch Company again brings you the Fitch Bandwagon with Alice Fay and Phil Harris. This program was written by Bob Mosier and Joe Connolly, directed by Paul Phillips, with the original music composed and conducted by Walter Sharp. Included in the cast were Janine Root, Anne Whitfield, Walter Tetley, and Elliot Lewis. Alice Fay appears to the courtesy of 20th Century Fox. <laughs> Men, use Fitch's Ideal Hair Tonic Daily. It makes your scalp tingle with that feeling of new life and pep. Fitch's Ideal is not sticky or greasy, so pep up your scalp and give your hair that well-groomed look with Fitch's Ideal Hair Tonic. Bill Foreman speaking. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to introduce a gentleman who gets very unhappy every year at this time because he does not win an award. <laughs> a man who has set music back 20 years and who parlayed a pinch-penny purse into a great career, Jack Benny. I'm from the horn blows at midnight. <laughs> Well, 
They told me to be here at 8 o'clock. <laughs> I guess the committee is a little sore at me. I didn't get here until 8.30. I didn't want him to think that I was over-anxious, you know. While I was standing in the entrance, they could have made the road to Rio with four lanes. For this <laughs> anyway, ladies and gentlemen, I'm really very, very happy to be here tonight. Of course, this is pretty late in the evening for a suave comedian. I mean, but I... Uh, this is really a, a return engagement for me. You see, I was master of ceremonies for the Academy three years ago, and I'm back here again tonight. And, of course, fortunately, I've had other work in between. I mean, I... I, mean, I don't depend on this entirely for a living. I, uh, you see, I'm on the radio, of course, Sunday night, and then I, uh, make a picture every leap year. <laughs> and I also have a, a sideline that's been doing terrific businesses, particularly this past year. Uh, I've converted my printing press from Christmas cards to Atwater Kent invitations. <laughs> been swell. I mean, he has so many parties, you know, there's coming out parties, going in parties. He has, <laughs> the parties are so close together that most people don't even bother going home at all. <laughs> but I, um, I know it's late and I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know there are many, many stars in front still waiting for the awards. I know you're all nervous and excited. Not me. I... I know where I stand. <laughs> but, uh, of course, uh, uh, this time, I mean, there's nothing to be jealous about. See, I haven't made a picture in about a year or two. Right now, I'm suspended at Warner Brothers for turning down a very, very important part in Humorette. They, um... <laughs> They offered me the, the John, originally, they offered me the John Garfield role, but I wouldn't even consider it. I mean, I, I figure that if I'm supposed to be a violinist through a picture, I'm going to play the violin. I mean, I'm not going to stand for them dubbing in Isaac Stern or Heifetz or Jules Stein or anybody else. <laughs> so I told that to Jack Warner, and he suspended me. Well, he didn't advise me of it personally, but before he went to Europe, he told the cop at the gate not to let me in anymore. <laughs> well, he's been mad at me anyway since I made the horn blows, you know, the horn blows at midnight. I mean, he thinks just because we had a great script and a fine director and a good cast that it was my fault, you see. <laughs> It had, uh, there were mixed criticisms to the horn blows at midnight. I mean, a lot, a lot of people hated it. Petrillo loved it. I mean, it was, it was but 
I've had, of course, uh, Warner, Jack Warner has suspended so many of his stars that I understand that now he had to give his brother Harry the lead in the voice of the turtle. <laughs> I've had so much trouble there anyway that, really, I don't know, for two cents, I'd go back to Pine and Thomas. Really. <laughs> I mean, there are a couple of fellas that really know how to make pictures. They make them fast, too. They're, they haven't even had time to go into any of the Atwater Kent parties, you know. <laughs> but I, um, of course, I don't see why people, uh, again, this isn't because I'm jealous. I don't know why people want to make a lot of pictures anyway. I mean, you, you know, you can't keep the money. You know, it all goes to Howard Greer. Anyway, everything, I think. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to uh, introduce a man who will present the award for the best achievement in directing a picture. Uh, this gentleman won the award last year for lo directing Lost Weekend. I mean, he made a whole thing out of a bottle in a chandelier. <laughs> and he had Ray Milan play it. Phil Harris could have played it, found the bottle sooner. <laughs> Giving him three fast choruses of That's What I Like About the South right after that, you know? Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, this very, very wonderful writer and director, Mr. Billy Wilder. Billy, Billy Wilder. Nominated are the best years of our life, Samuel Goldwyn, Mr. William Wyler. Brief encounter, Mr. Rank, David Lean. It's a Wonderful Life, Liberty Films, Frank Capra. The Killers, Robert Siodmak. The Yearling, MGM, Clarence Brown. William Wyler. goes to William Wyler for his direction of the best years of our lives, Samuel Goldwyn, RKO. He's up on the stage now, Billy Wilder walks over, takes him by the hand, brings him up to the microphone. Willie, which is your good ear? Because I want to say a You're few big it. words. You can't get this on the one? other one. You can't get on the other one. <laughs> All I want to say, Willie, as a director, that I regard the best years of my life as the best directed picture I've ever seen in my life. I think you are the champ. And we love you, we're proud of you, and God bless you. Thank you, Paul. I'm, I'm deeply grateful and very happy that the picture was liked so much. Thank you. Congratulations, Mr. Weiler. I really thought that his direction of that picture was not only superb, but courageous. And I think that picture will go down as a monument to Mr. Wilder's knowledge of human nature. You know, I, um, 
uh, made a picture once where I thought I might have a chance for an award. I made it with Lubitsch, a picture called To Be or Not To Be, which I was a comedian who played Hamlet, but I had so much trouble in that picture, too. In fact, Lubitsch got so mad at me that when the picture was over, instead of cutting the film, he bit out the parts that he didn't want. I finally saw the picture. I think he swallowed the best part of it. I mean, of course, I was disappointed anyway. It was supposed to have been made in Technicolor, you see, but we had to go back to black and white because due to a peculiar pigment in my skin, I photographed plaid. <laughs> now, ladies and gentlemen, about a year and a half ago, Mr. Eric Johnston became the president of the Motion Picture Producers Association. And in that short time, and with a surprise to no one, he won the admiration and the respect and the love of everyone in our industry. And he's honoring us tonight with a visit and will present the award for the best picture of the year, Mr. Eric Johnston, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Mr. Benny. But aren't you a little out of character this evening? In your introduction of me, you've been so generous. Your generous introduction is almost bordered on lavishness, as a matter of fact. Tonight, the best picture of the year becomes one of the immortals. It is by their art that we know the people of the past. It is by today's art that tomorrow will know about us. For kings and conquerors have strutted across the misty yesterdays only to find that their deeds and their names have been forgotten. But art survives. Art always lives. The motion picture has given to the world the finest and the newest in dramatic art since the birth of the Greek drama. But in order for it to achieve its topmost position, it is essential that it have good craftsmanship as well as inspiration. It is essential that we recognize all elements of the industry, whether they be newsreels, entertainment films, documentaries, or educational films. In fact, sometimes one almost blends into the other, but there are ample honors for each to receive its due laurels. Having given the world a new art, tonight I'm going to ask you to try to give it something more. Give the world understanding. Give the world those ties of friendship and admiration which can only come from knowledge, which can only come from appreciation. Join hands with others who are working with films in other parts of the world so that by the very force of our example 
we may broaden and enrich the lives of peoples everywhere. But even the gaiety of this evening and the brilliance of this performance cannot gloss over the fact that to our generation is the tragic privilege, the tragic privilege of living in the greatest human crisis since the fall of the Roman Empire. But if ours is the tragic privilege, it is also the magnificent opportunity, the magnificent opportunity to mold and to form and to direct the inevitable changes of tomorrow so that at long last we may have peace on earth and goodwill towards men. It is in that spirit that the Academy presents its award for the best picture of the year. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences presents... I'm reading the title for you now on this clip for the best picture of the year. The 19th Annual Awards Achievements during 1946. And here is the voice of Oscar again, bringing you the nominations for the best motion picture of the year 1946. In alphabetical order, if you please, they are... Number one, The Best Years of Our Lives, Samuel Goldwyn, RKO Radio. without dialogue. The clips are in alphabetical order as you've just heard, and this scene from the best years of our lives shows Dana Andrews wandering among the grounded bombing planes. And suddenly, he spots his old bomber. The name is on the nose of the ship. It's called Round Trip. He climbs into the cockpit. Remember that scene? Number two, Henry V, J. Arthur Rank, Two Cities, United Artists, British. You know your places? God be with you all! The British film Henry V. Here are the stirring movements just before the great battle scene. And now the battle is in its opening moment. Horsemen go into action, lances fly, arrows are in the air. Henry V. If you saw the picture, you won't soon forget this scene. It was shot in Ireland. It's a Wonderful Life. Liberty Films Incorporated, RKO Radio. This is nearly the final scene from the picture, It's a Wonderful Life, where all the townspeople whom Jimmy Stewart has defended and befriended came to his aid. There's great confusion with everyone talking at once as they dump bags, baskets, and hats full of money on the table to make up the $8,000 deficit of Jimmy's Building and Loan Association. Number four, The Razor's Edge, 20th Century Fox. This is the ballroom scene from The Razor's Edge, the 20th Century Fox entry. Jean Tierney's escort slips a wrap about her shoulders as they're about to leave. 
number five, The Yearling, Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. Last entry is The Yearling. Well, they've selected that beautiful scene near the opening of the picture that shows the chase of the deers through the Florida woods. Jody, the youngster in the picture whom you heard a short time ago, is running through the forest as the deer sail over a fallen log in graceful single file. I know you certainly remember that scene. Which has been voted the best motion picture of the year 1946. Which is the winner? Now the beginning of the major awards. The microphone comes back to center stage, and here is Mr. Johnston. Well, what do you think? Uh, which is the winner? I presume each one of you have your own choice. But now the vote of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. And I will announce it as the best years of our lives. gentlemen, as you know, no one man makes a fine picture. It takes a great many people, great collaboration. And I want to express my deep appreciation to Mr. McKinley Cantor, who wrote the original story, to Mr. Sherwood, for his brilliant adaptation to Mr. Weiler for the greatest direction I have seen in a motion picture so far. <laughs> to Mr. Freddie March. <laughs> to Miss Myrna Loy. <laughs> to Mr. Dana Andrews. To Miss Teresa Wright. To Miss Mayor, Virginia Mayor. To Miss Catherine O'Donnell. To Mr. Hugo Carmichael. To Mr. Russell. We all deeply appreciate the honor that you bestowed in voting the best years of our lives, the best picture of the year. I thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Golden. Mr. Benny? I thought Hugo Carmichael was great, too, didn't you? <laughs> the, um... Funny, though, when you're watching some of the pictures, of course, I thought that uh, the best years of our life certainly did merit the award. There's no question about it, although I enjoyed every one of the pictures that were nominated. I enjoyed the yearling. 
very, very much. But it's amazing the, the small things, the little things that that make a great picture. I mean, you take the yearling, for instance. You take out, I don't know, you take out Gregory Peck and Jane Wyman and Claude Jarman, Jr., and what have you got? I mean, you've got another Bambi. And you say, you know, I think at this moment, though, it would be kind of nice if we gave a hand to the fellow that ran this whole show, Mr. Mervyn Leroy, ladies and gentlemen. Oliveri wins that big one. That'll never leave the building. That I know. I think. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce uh, next the president of the Independent Motion Picture Producers, a great friend to everyone in the industry, Mr. Donald Nelson. Mr. Donald. is presented in the memory of and in tribute to the genius of Irving G. Thalberg. He brought to the screen a standard of taste and quality that had never before been achieved. The Thalberg Award honors those who, in the judgment of the Board of Governors of the Academy, have achieved in their personally produced films and in their standard of production, records, the high standards set by Irving Thalberg. To date, five men have been so honored. Daryl S. Zanuck, Hal Wallace, David O. Selznick, Walter Disney, Sidney Franklin. And tonight, the Board of Governors of the Academy are honoring with the Thalberg Award, Mr. Samuel Goldwyn. I am deeply grateful for this award. I have known Mr. Thalberg, the man whom I had a great affection for, a man that stood for a great many fine things that have been done in this industry, a man who has had great integrity, a man who has been a great loss to Hollywood. You could not honor me, give me any greater honor give me this award tonight. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we will now run the nominee film for the Best Supporting Actor of the Year. They told me just to read that and not make any jokes about it at all. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
in the green years, Metro-Golden-Mayer. Wonderful, Grandpa. Gavin gave it to me. As a man of science, I've never seen a final. Many a Charles Corbin and his grandson as they peer into a microscope. microscope in hand to explore the mystery of the stars. You're thinking of a telescope. You look at little things with a microscope. Oh. There you are, Grandpa. There's a little piece of cheese for you to look at. Number two, William Demarest in The Jolson Story, Columbia. I just get tired of saying it the same way every time, Mr. Morton. So you thought up Moo Moo. I didn't think it. It just came out. Oh, it just came out. Well, don't let it come out. You sing that song just like it's written, and I don't want to hear no more Moo Moos. Yes, sir. <laughs> How do you like that? He gets tired singing it the same way. So he puts in Moo. Moo. As if that makes any difference. And another thing. You're singing a little faster every night. Is that because you're tired, too? No, sir. That's because you're playing it too slow. Number three. Claude Rains in Notorious RKO Radio. Claude Rains discovers his wife with another man. I'm sorry to intrude on this tender scene. I couldn't help what happened. He'd been drinking. So he carried you down here. Oh, please, Alex. You love him. Sorry, Alicia. Please go. Good night. Alex, don't be foolish. I, I came down here because he threatened to make a scene unless I'd see him long. He kissed you. I... I couldn't stop him. I tried. We'll talk about it later. Your guests are upstairs. You please go to... Number four. Harold Russell in The Best Years of Our Lives. Samuel Goldwyn, RKO Radio. Harold Russell in the garage scene where he is enraged for the neighborhood children. You want to see how the hooks work? You want to see the freak? I'm sorry, Luella. It isn't your fault. Go on and play with your friends. Number five, Clifton Webb in The Razor's Edge, 20th Century Fox. I'm not a man that people overlook. But perhaps she doesn't know you're in the south of France. Don't be ridiculous, Larry. Everybody knows I'm in the south of France. It's going to be the best party of the season. If I was on my deathbed, I'd go to it. Never mind, old boy. It may rain the night of the party. That'll ruin it. <laughs> I never thought of that. I'll pay for rain as I've never played before. <laughs> the old witch. Your decision, Academy, please, as to the best performance by an actor in a supporting role. That was the deathbed scene with Clifton Webb from the Razor's I'm going to present Edge. now one of our outstanding actresses of the screen who will present the award for the Best Supporting Actor of the Year. Uh, this lady won the award last year for the Best Supporting Actress in a picture, National Velvet. Miss Anne Revere. Miss Anne Revere.
I was once your secretary, Jack, remember? I'm awfully glad that I'm up here tonight because that was an awfully steep flight of stairs last year. Mr. Harold Russell, in the best years of our lives. Thank you very much. Two in a night is just too much. Thanks a lot. Ladies and gentlemen, in all the years that I have attended the Academy ceremonies, I don't know of an award that was more deserved or justified. And now we will have a running of the nominee film for the best supporting actor of the year. Anybody can say that, you know. I mean, the best supporting actress. For the best performance by an actress in the supporting role, I list you alphabetically the nomination. Number one, Ethel Barrymore in The Spiral Staircase, RKO Radio. Ethel Barrymore in the bedroom scene with the desk mute Dorothy McGuire. Knock the window. Try to get in. Knock the window. And it's dark. They move. I've seen them. Creeping up to the house. Go away, my dear. I'm such a little girl. I want to take care of you. You won't leave the house as I ask you to. You must sleep in this room tonight. Number two, Ann Baxter in The Razor's Edge, 20th Century Fox. Where's Bob? Uh, Careful with her arm. Where's Bob? I want Bob. Bob? You have to stay in bed, Mrs. McDonald. Take it easy, Sophie. No. I've got to see Bob and, and baby. Baby. Don't let her baby. get up. I'll get the doctor. Sophie, be a good girl. I'll lie down. Leave me alone, you swine. Please, please, Sophie. The hospital scene after the car accident. Is Bob dead, Gray? Number three. Lillian Gish in Duel in the Sun, a Selznick International picture. But when I found out you was gone, I got to thinking you was going to him, and I couldn't stand it. I swore I'd stop you and bring you back. I went crazy. Yes, that's what it was, Laura Bell. I just went crazy. I rode through the night like a drunken commence. My own crazy jealousy threw me off that horse. Forget. 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 Look at me, Jackson. You're my... My dearest. This is the death scene from Jewel in the Sun with Lillian Gish. Number four. Laura Robeson in Saratoga Trunk, Warner Brothers. Belinda, if you don't, I'll tell you what, it's too late for me to get down to Oh, no. 
We ain't going to drive around to be seen and followed by that Texas. Wait here. Pay the man and come on, Cupid. And if a cowboy in a white hat comes along, we ain't here. It'll serve your right here, Cupid. I'm brought into court as a billy goat. Not for him, courtrooms. I know the looks. Probably wanted in Texas himself and skipped out with somebody's carriage and horses. Angelique, don't let's quarrel anymore. I meant it to be such a happy day. All right, baby, we don't quarrel, but just you keep your mind on what you came out for. And remember, 20 years ago, your mama walked in here like a queen. Number five, Gail Sundergaard in Anna and the King of Siam, 20th Century Fox. Does the man want me to say she has not sailed? Or does she wish me to speak truth? Well, the truth, of course. This is maybe not good room for Mem to speak about her failure. Has she ever observed my wallpaper? It's very beautiful. But you have not really looked at it. It tells a story for anyone with the eyes to see. And here is the result. The best performance by an actress in the supporting role is... It gives me great pleasure, ladies and gentlemen, to introduce the gentleman who will present the award for the uh, Best Supporting Actress of the Year, Mr. Lionel Barrymore. wheelchair now. Up to the center mic. He's taken... thank all the Academy members for this very great honor. And I'd like to present my appreciation to Mr. Zanuck for the opportunity to play Sophie. And above all, my deepest thanks to Mr. Eddie Goulding, without whose fine direction and understanding Sophie never would have been. I'm deeply grateful. Thank you again. Benny has escorted Miss Baxter completely off stage and must return. It really must be a thrill getting uh, Oscar. Although I, I should think, I mean, that they would give something else, I mean, instead of an Oscar for an award, I mean, something more substantial. You know, something like $50 or something like that. <laughs> I think now we have the, uh, this is the one you want me to say without jokes, isn't it? This is, uh, we have the nominee film for the, the best performance of the star actor 
of any picture of the year. And now for the best performance by an actor in the past year. The nominations beginning with A, or rather beginning with M. Number one, Frederick March in The Best Years of Our Lives. Samuel Goldwyn, RKO Radio. March just out of the army and a little tipsy is dancing with wife Myrna Law. He doesn't recognize her. You're a bewitching little creature. In a way, you remind me of my wife. But you never told me you're married. Oh, yeah. I got a little woman, two kitties, back down the States. But let's not think of them now. Oh, you're so right. This night belongs only to us. Olivier and Henry V. J. Arthur Rank, Two Cities, United Artists, British. The night is great king. Dear Kate, you and I cannot be confined within the weak list of a country's fashion. We are the makers of manners, Kate. Therefore, patiently. in the Jolson story, Columbia. Mammy. My little mammy. The sunshine deep. The sunshine wet. I know where the sunshine best. It's on my mammy I'm talking about. Nobody else's. My little mammy. My heart's a ring. I tangled around. I'm not a praying man, but if you're up there and you can hear me, 
now which of these has been voted the best performance by an actor? One of our most talented and glamorous stars, ladies and gentlemen, Miss Joan Fontaine, who will present the award. Frederick March, in the best years of our lives. Mr. March couldn't be here to thank you for this award, but I guess you know that he's in New York in a very successful play. I think Mr. March was wonderful in the best years of our lives, and I'm glad you did too. So I, I want to thank you for Mr. March. Thank you. I thought Frederick March was great in it. I really did. Personally. I would like to have seen Hugh Herbert in the park. I mean, you know, in the drunk scene, he'd give it woo-hoo, you know, to help him. Of course, it's my opinion, you know. I, I don't know much about casting pictures. I, um, we will have now the running of the nominee film for the best actress of the year. 1946 is last award. The following gracious ladies I give you, listed in the order in which they might appear on the telephone book. The names, of course, without the numbers. Nominated for the best performance by an actress in the year 1946, number one, Olivia de Havilland in To Each His Own, Paramount. Girls' leaves being canceled. They ran into a lot of red tape about their marriage. Those poor children wandering around all day. Oh, I should be feeling sorry for them, not for myself. You'd like them to marry? That's what he wants. I'd like to give him the sun and the moon and the stars all his life I've wanted to. I thought for this week I could feel like a real mother, showering things on him, spoiling him. All he wants is his girl. I can't help him with that. After 20 years, what have I been able to give him? Two theater tickets and the table at the Rossars. Number two, Celia Johnson in Brief Encounter. J. Arthur Rank, Cinegild, Prestige, Universal International, British. I love you. You love me too. It's no use pretending it hasn't happened, because it has. Yes, it has. I don't want to pretend anything either to you or to anyone else. But from now on, I shall have to. That's what's wrong, don't you see? That's what spoils everything. That's why we must stop here and now talking like this. We're neither of us free to love each other. There's too much in the way. There's still time. If we control ourselves, behave like sensible human beings. There's still time. 
Number three, Jennifer Jones in Duel in the Sun, a Selznick International picture. This is Jennifer Jones in the title scene from Duel in the Sun. She's riding with the camera and rides to Squall Rock, where she shoots at her sweetheart and he returns the fire. It's the final scene in the picture. I think I can best identify it for you that way. Can you see me? Ladies and gentlemen, the winners of the award for his performance in Lost Weekend last year, Mr. Ray Milan. I think Ray really lived his part, too. I had him on my program. We had a broadcast from the steam room of the Hollywood Athletic Club, finally. Yes. Yes. You know, I'm supposed to take up time here while you're doing this. Listen closely. He's a long way from the microphone. Miss Olivia de Havilland. profession which has instructed me, rewarded me, and permitted me my share of the world's work. It will understand and forgive me 
I know for the very great pride I feel in receiving this symbol of its approbation, one of the awards of merit for my part in this past year, what has been done. But even in this wonderful moment, my common sense reminds me quite clearly that most of the work that went into earning this award was not done by Lizzie de Havilland at all, but by a big team of other people who, if justice were really to prevail, would be standing up here beside me now. When I think of the writer who created Jody Norris and how much of her sprang from the heart and mind of the director, when I remember the businessmen who found and managed the money which produced her and distributed her, and how she grew under the talents and skills of the technicians, the cameraman, the makeup man, the hairdresser, the costumer, and then I think how much the musicians did for her, then I feel humble too, as well as proud, to accept this award, which I do in the name of my team, as well as my own. Thank you. Here's Mr. Jean Herschel. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes the 19th Annual Award. I hope you will bear with us because uh, the film was run upside down. But I do want before wishing you good night to thank all the many people who have made it possible to make this very fine presentation tonight. Their names are too numerous to mention. I can go into a long, long, and it's late now. I do want, however, to point out two people. Mr. Leo Forkstein, who conducted the orchestra so beautifully. <laughs> and also, Mr. Leroy, Mervyn Leroy. He doesn't want to come out, he says. I've asked him to, but he doesn't. He says hello. And that's what I'm going to do, say to you, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to thank you for being a fine audience. I wish you good speed, good night, and God bless you. Good night. That is Mr. Dean Herschel, the president of the Academy of Arts and Sciences. And now, down to the orchestra for the winning song today, which is being used as the exit march. And we'll be back in just a moment, and I think we're going to find Frances Scully to give you a little more information about who is here and what she was wearing and what some of the nominees and award winners were wearing. Now the band.
going to uh, cut in on the orchestra because we do have a few items of interest, I think, uh, for you before we actually leave the air. Frances Scully has come back. She's been in and out of the theater, has uh, talked with most of the award winners, with most of the nominees, and I think she has some complete and very interesting information for our feminine listeners. So before I tell you any more about the uh, 19th Annual Academy Award, here's Frances to tell you who was wearing what and why. Frances? Thank you, Buddy Twist. And, oh, folks, this has really been one of the most glamorous Academy Awards I've ever attended, and I've seen them all. But I must tell you what the winner, Olivia de Havilland, wore tonight. She really looked like a dream walking, and she came in and uh, walked across the huge stage at the Shrine Auditorium here. Her gown was a real pale blue marquisette, and it was strapless and very full and a very tight bodice, and right down the side of the skirt were hand-painted pastel flowers all outlined in pastel-colored sequins. And she wore her hair in a long bob, and she really did look beautiful. And Ann Baxter, who won the award for the Best Supporting Actress of the Year for her work in The Razor's Edge, wore a navy blue net bouffant gown. And the net was over navy blue underskirt, and she looked very, very lovely, and she was very thrilled. And of course, her husband, John Hodiak, was with her, and he was very thrilled, too. And of course, Olivia de Havilland's work into each her own. Everyone was really rooting for her, and you should have seen her sister, Joan Fontaine, throw her arms around Olivia. They, oh, she was so pleased, and Joan Fontaine herself looked gorgeous in a gold-colored dress which just matched her blonde hair. And the entire jacket of this evening gown was studded in gold-colored bugle beads. And Jane Wyman wore a stunning black sequin evening gown. And over it, a green crepe smock. She looked very, very sweet. You know, uh, Janie and her husband, Ronald Regan, are expecting a bundle from heaven in a few months. And Janie's outfit was really very, very good-looking. And Lana Turner wore her favorite color white in a beautiful white satin peplum evening gown. And the peplum was all outlined in sequins, gold sequins and gold and silver rhinestones. And uh, she had white satin platform soles. And incidentally, Lana's hair is quite brown. And it was very attractive with the white satin gown. Anne Sheridan was another girl who wore all black. Her black, long black skirt was accented by a jacket made entirely of black sequins, and Anne's beautiful red hair was piled high on top of her head. And Mary Pickford, you know, in that cavalcade of stars, well, when Mary Pickford came out, the audience, they just did everything but stand up and cheer for her. She is really the first lady of Hollywood, and she looked very, very lovely in a white brocaded satin evening gown and her blonde curls high on top of her head. Little Ann Rutherford looked very pretty in black, black knit and lace. And, of course, Hedda Hopper, who was always such a fashion plate, had on a stunning Kelly Green and black taffeta gown. And Dinah Shore, who sang those wonderful, wonderful songs for you, Dinah's gown was strapless, too, and it was white knit and marquisette. And, of course, when she sang the ringing song, the actress in Topeka and the Santa Fe, everybody in the auditorium really felt like getting up and keeping time with her because, you know, Dinah pinched hit tonight. And uh, she wasn't scheduled to present that number, but she was called the last minute. And, as always, Dinah is so wonderful about anything like that. Joan Davis, one of Hollywood's very funny gals, was here tonight, all in white, wearing an exquisite blue mink coat. And, of course, Bob Montgomery's very lovely wife had a... Camellia pink print 
evening gown with her mink coat. And this is George Murphy wore green. Of course, she always does. It seems to be her favorite color. And she wore a Stone Martin shawl stole. Little Connie Marshall was here with her mother and dad. And Connie had on her party dress. It was right long and a long blue velvet cape. Judith Anderson, one of our very, very fine actresses, looked quite stunning in the cavalcade on the stage in a Grecian gown of white. And pretty little Donna Reed wore brown tonight, and her uh, dress was chiffon and lace. She wore a mink coat. And then, of course, some of the good-looking boys like Jeffrey Lynn and Dave Street were right on hand, and Phoebe Daniels and Ben Lyon. And Phoebe looked very beautiful in a, quite a regal black velvet gown with mink. And I just hope that all of you folks away from here will have enjoyed this as much as we have because it's been so perfectly grand. And all you boys all over the world who are going to hear the show through the Armed Forces Radio Service, I hope that you've enjoyed it as much as we've had doing it for you. And now I'm going to turn the microphone back to Buddy Twist, who's done a terrific job tonight. Here you are, Buddy. Thanks, Francis. Well, I guess that about winds it up. Ladies and gentlemen, I think I should run over briefly for you. I think we have time for that. The major awards, Olivia de Havilland, the best actress, Freddie March, the best actor, I'm going through my program now, Ann Baxter, and the best supporting actress, uh, Harold Russell, best supporting actor, and the best years of our lives for the best picture of 1946. Well, so ends the 19th Annual Academy Awards. The American Broadcasting Company is happy and proud to have been able to bring you this greatest of all movie land spectacles, and indeed it was tonight, and Mervyn Leroy should be given great credit for this greatest of all Academy Awards. We're sorry we had to keep you up so late, especially you folks in the East, and I know it, it really is late back there. But we do hope you've enjoyed the past approximately three hours or so. We're tired, and we know you must be too, so we won't keep you up any longer. This is Buddy Twist. Saying good night for all of us from ABC. This is the American Broadcasting Company.